the series this summer in the Psalms is meant to help us to know our Lord. And the Psalm this morning helps us to know our Lord in the midst of the crises that we face. I'd like you to join with me as we turn in our Bibles now to Psalm 40, which chronicles David's response to a particular crisis that he encountered in his own personal life. We want to understand something with regard to the way in which God was working in David's life, both prior to and in the midst of the crisis that he faced. So no matter what the challenges are that we are facing this morning, and there are a host of challenges that those in our congregation experience, what I'd like you to do is to personalize God's word, find particular verses and phrases that stand out to you. Put your name next to those verses. and Ask God to show you how that connects with what you are, what you are facing right now. As in Psalm 40, I begin reading with verse 1, and I'll read down to verse 10. For David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit and out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, and many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O oh Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. No one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And then I said, Here I am, I have come. It's written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O oh Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. So now our Lord wants us to take these psalms written about a thousand years prior to Christ walking the, the streets of Palestine and connect them to modern day living to see where we can go with what has been penned. We'll start by looking to God in prayer. And Father, we thank you for the experiences of David that he didn't keep to himself. But through the Holy Spirit's prompting, he penned poetically these, these experiences for us to be able to relate to. And no matter what experiences we're encountering right now, my prayer is that because of your grace, we can peer into the cross of Christ Jesus and to know that the ultimate form of deliverance, redemption, rescue, is through the work of Christ. So we thank you for what you have done. We thank you, Father, for who you are. And now we're committing these moments into your care as we seek to know you through your word. And praising you and thanking you now in advance. In, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
came across these stories, real 911 calls where people were seeking rescue. Dispatcher, 911, what is your emergency? The caller, I heard what sounded like gunshots coming from the brown house on the corner. Dispatcher, do you have an address? Caller, no, I have on a blouse and slacks. Why? Dispatcher, 911, what's your emergency? Caller, someone broke into my house and took a bite out of my ham and cheese sandwich. Excuse me? Caller, I made a ham and cheese sandwich and I left it on the kitchen table. When I came back from the bathroom, someone had taken a bite out of it. Dispatcher, Oh, was anything else taken? Caller, no, but this has happened to me before and I'm sick and tired of it. Dispatcher, 911. I'm having trouble breathing. I'm all out of breath. I think I'm going to pass out. So where are you calling from? Caller, North and Foster. Dispatcher, sir, an ambulance is on the way. Are you asthmatic? Caller, no. Dispatcher, what were you doing before you started having trouble breathing? Caller, running from the police. Dispatcher, 911. What's the nature of your emergency? I'm trying to reach 911, but my phone doesn't have an 11 on it. Dispatcher, this is 911. Caller, I thought you said it was 911. Dispatcher, Yes, ma'am. 911 and 911 are the same thing. Caller, honey, I may be old, but I'm not stupid. Dispatcher, 911. What's the nature of your emergency? Caller, my wife is pregnant, and her contractions are only two minutes apart. Dispatcher, is this her first child? Caller, no, you idiot, this is her husband. Rescue needed. David is in a time period in his life where rescue is needed. It's as if he has found 911 as it relates to his Lord who's involved in his life. And what he wants to know is whether or not God has a rescue plan for the challenges, the experiences, the crises that David is experiencing. This psalm is divided into two major sections. Verse 1 down to verse 10 is really a statement of rejoicing before God. It relates to his past. When all of a sudden he breaks into a lament in verse 11 down to verse 17, dealing with the challenges of the moment. So we're going to look at this psalm and know two expressions that David offers from his heart to God. In verse 1 down to verse 10, we're going to consider, first of all, praise for God regarding his past interventions. And then in verse 11 down to verse 17, we're going to notice prayer for God's present intervention. And those two headings that we see in our outlines are going to guide us through this, this section of Scripture that we are looking at this morning. So now, as we begin, notice again that David deals with the timing of God which seems to be the way in which you and I continue to relate to God as well. 
I waited patiently for the Lord, he says, looking back over the days of his life. Notice the past tense words. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Now there are three elements of praise that he offers to God. The first element, as we're going to see in our PowerPoint, is in verses 1 down through verse 5, and it's this number one, that God's mercies are to be remembered. God's mercies are to be remembered. In the midst of looking back over the crises of the past, as he's encountering a challenge in the present, what immediately captures his attention is that there have been durations of time where he has had to not merely wait. He had to wait patiently for the Lord. I believe until we have mastered not merely the whole element of waiting, but waiting patiently for the Lord, we will not have our eyes fully open to what it is that God is doing in our lives. David has expressed time and again through these verses the whole tension and challenge of delay. But it seems as though, as he is guiding us through poetically the experiences of his life, he has reached a point now where he can look back and say, I am developing and have developed the spiritual discipline not merely of waiting upon God, I am developing and have developed the spiritual di discipline of waiting patiently for the Lord. Now that's something that you and I have got to press into our own spiritual disciplines. We have to understand that biblical patience is not the same as psychological passivity. The patient believer is not a passive believer. It is possible and biblically righteous to be both patient and aggressive. We see it in Abram's life. We see it in Moses' life. We see it in David's life. They are patient, but they are not passive. I waited patiently, he said, for the Lord. And it seems as though when he developed that spiritual discipline, then the following things began to develop within his own personal life story. Notice the verbs. They're past tense. He turned to me. In other words, poetically, it's as though he's saying there was a time where it seems as though God was looking in a different direction than I was looking. The reality, of course, is that it's not so much God looking in a different direction than us. We're looking in a different direction from God. He heard my cry. Past tense. He lifted me out 
And notice the word description here of the slimy pit. It's as if he is saying to you and me, there was a time where I seemed to lack a foundation, footing, stability, a sense where I could take a stand and feel secure about it. He lifted me out of that setting where I lacked foundation, and he set my feet on a rock. And those who've traveled Israel know that it is a land filled with rock and gave me a firm place, a firm place to stand. So he learned that he had to wait, but not merely wait. He had to learn to wait patiently, yet proactively on God. And when he developed the spiritual discipline of waiting patiently, yet proactively, then these events began to occur, and now in his moments of delay in life, he is able to look back over the sequence and see that as a result of waiting patiently, these acts of God began to flow naturally through the course of his days. He's better able to understand the delays in the light of the past. Two men from a church in Kansas were given the opportunity to take a mission trip to Kenya in East Africa. And the bags were packed and they were headed to the airport, but when they arrived they found that their flight had been canceled and they had a six-hour wait on their hands until the next flight out. And so they waited. One turned to the other and said, let's make use of our time. And so they began to read the scriptures and talk through how they were going to be ministering in, in Kenya. They were big guys. One was about 6'5", the other 6'4". They knew how to take care of themselves. Finally, when they were able to board their flight, for some reason, they were seated in first class, even though they hadn't paid the higher fare for the seats. They wondered why. Then they found out. During the long flight, they heard a struggle in the cockpit. Discovered there was a crazed man who was struggling with the pilot. And the plane was nosediving from 30,000 to 4,000 feet quickly. These two believers rushed in and easily had the guy under control. At the end of the flight, when they were getting their footing in the airport, and people were thanking them one after another after another for what they had done, a believer approached them who knew their story about having to wait in that airport all that time, smiled and said, God's delays, you used it for God's glory, and walked away. How do you use a delay for God's glory? We have to develop the spiritual discipline of not merely waiting, but waiting patiently, which means proactively upon God. And having our eyes opened 
to the way in which sequentially through the years of our lives he has turned toward us he's heard our cries he's lifted us out he's set our feet upon and then David adds in verse 3 he put a new song in my heart in my mouth a hymn of praise to our God now what he wants to do is to have some kind of spiritual impact upon other people because of the experiences of his life take the challenges of your life the ones that emotionally rise to the surface the moment your mind is free to begin to think about those things those experiences that you would rather stuff down deep below the surface so that you don't have to deal with them have you ever asked how God could use those experiences to minister to others who are going through or have gone through such similar circumstances in verse 3 David says he put a new song in my mouth a hymn of praise to our God many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord so now you need to ask how can I use my past experiences to help others to put their trust in the Lord read on a perspective statement in verse 4 and 5 blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust who does not look to the proud in other words doesn't turn to other options than God to those who turn aside to false gods many O oh Lord my God are the wonders you have done in other words I take my calculator and it just I just I don't have enough digits there are too many too many numerals when it comes to all that you've accomplished God and the things you planned for us no one can recount to you were I to speak and tell of them they would be too many to declare pause there what amazes us is that he's able to make such statements while he's in the midst of crisis that he's able to talk about the wonders of God too great to even enumerate in the midst of a current challenge of life have you developed the spiritual capacity the spiritual discipline that in the challenges of life that you are able still to be able to look back over the days of your life and say God's grace God's mercies God's acts are too numerous to count and yet you've got one example after another that can quickly come to mind as you think about the fact that at your point of need God was there he didn't abandon you Leonard Sweet tells this story Native Americans had a unique practice for training their young braves on the night of the boys 13th birthday after learning hunting and scouting and fishing skills he was placed in a dense forest to spend the entire night alone until then he had never been away from the security of family and tribe but on this night he was blindfolded and taken several miles away when he took off the blindfold he was in the middle of thick woods by himself 
all night long. And every time a twig snapped, he visualized a wild animal ready to pounce. Every time an animal howled, he imagined a wolf leaped out of the darkness. It was a terrifying night for a 13-year-old. After dawn broke, the first rays of sunlight entered the interior of the forest. Looking around, the boy saw flowers, trees, the outline of the path. Then, to his utter astonishment, he saw the figure of a man standing just a few feet away, armed with a bow and arrow. It was his father. He had been there all night long. In the dark nights of the soul, those times where we feel as though we can't find our way out of the forest, we need to look back over the days in which dawn broke, the light came forth, and we saw that our Father had been there all along. In the midst of your challenge, then, you look back and you're able to say, I remember God's mercies. The sheer number of them, too much to recount. Yet I've got story after story after story chronicled and filed in my mind for such times as these. Have you developed that spiritual discipline? A second element of mercy, a second element of praise. Not only, number one, that God's mercies are to be remembered in verses 1 through 5, but again in our PowerPoint, in our outlines, that number two, God's will is to be obeyed, and you see it now in verse 6 down through verse 8. What I want you to write off to the side in your Bible in verses 6 down through verse 8 is this. Jesus. This is a messianic promise. This is a messianic prophecy uttered 1,000 years before Christ's entrance into Bethlehem. In the immediate account, it refers to David. In the ultimate account, it refers to Messiah, thus a messianic prophecy. Notice how it unfolds. And the contrast he uses. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Back again. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, and I want you to branch forward now to Christ's emergence from eternity into Bethlehem. Here I am. I have come, as it is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Notice with me that when David begins in verse 6 with the words, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, he's not saying that God places no value on the external elements of sacrifice and offering. What he is saying is that in comparison to external religious formalities, 
in comparison to voluntary faithful obedience to God takes precedent in God's eyes. And voluntary faithful obedience to God brings value to the external religious elements of our lives. This is something that King Saul did not grasp. He thought in 1 Samuel chapter 15 that if he could disobey God and yet offer sacrifice to God, God would close his eyes to Saul's disobedience and open his eyes to Saul's offerings until Samuel, the prophet, confronted Saul with these words. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? You sense contrast? You sense priority? Quote, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. When Saul tried to make amends at this point, Samuel told him that God had torn his kingdom away from Saul and would give it to another one, one we know as David, who writes these words. So these words now had very special meaning to David personally. He had learned from Saul, his predecessor's past. You cannot take external ritualistic formal religion and offer it to God without a heart of faith and a spirit of obedience. And expect God then to close his eye to sin and open his eye to the external rituals. And accept us on those terms. He won't. Instead, what we see here is that David, having looked back over Saul's experience, furthermore, projects ahead to Messiah's future experience with these words. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. And notice ears is plural. Typically, in that Old Testament time period, when a servant was to be mocked as belonging to his owner, one ear would be bored. But this is plural, not singular. Why? Elsewhere in the Psalms, we are shown that the ears were to be the vehicles through which God's word was transmitted into the heart. What the psalmist is saying here, then, is that this one has open ears, has an open heart, it has a devoted life to the will of God. Now you read on, and this one, we are told in verse 7, says, Here I am, I have come. Which is the statement of one who is about to go forth on a mission, similar to what Isaiah would say as well, to God. Here I am, send me. But then he goes on to write, it's written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And those that know their, their New Testament fairly well nod their heads. Because in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, as I note in our outlines, the writer of Hebrew takes this portion of this psalm, links it to Jesus. 
And in verse 5 of Hebrews 10, informs us, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. And lo and behold, 1,000 years before entering into Bethlehem, you've spotted Jesus. Who's been commissioned to do the will of the Father. While at the same time, you and I are given the responsibility that out of our faith, we are obedient to the will of the Father. As we keep our eyes focused upon Messiah. David had to focus upon the Messiah who was to come, keeping his eyes fixated on this promised one, Johnny Erickson. She's a quadriplegic, paralyzed in a diving accident while in high school. Has had an incredible impact upon the world with her testimony of faith in Christ. She tells of her surprise when she received a marriage proposal, which she accepted. At the wedding, she positioned her wheelchair at the rear of the church and in the center of the main aisle. Her flowers fell off, and uh, she was not able to retrieve them, she writes. Her wedding dress brushed against the greasy wheels of the wheelchair and made a mess for all the guests to see. She took a deep breath and said, I can't do this. I can't do this. But then she writes, I looked ahead, down the center of that aisle, and I saw the future. I saw my husband standing there with a smile of confidence on his face, standing tall and erect, with giving me a sense that he would take care of me. And I took another breath, and I muttered, I really can do this and slowly made my way down the aisle. There are times in crises where we feel as though, I can't do this. Ponder David. He projects ahead to the Messiah 1,000 years hence, and then says, I can do this, and leads us down that aisle towards Jesus. God's mercies are to be remembered. God's will is to be obeyed. Now, there's a third element here of praise for God's inter past interventions. It's found in verses 9 and 10. Outline, PowerPoint again, that thirdly, God's righteousness is to be proclaimed. Verse 9, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. In other words, he says, now, i got something to share with other people. I may be in the midst of challenging circumstances, but I still have something to say about God, about who He is, about what He's done in my past. I'm not going to be somebody who is so narrowly focused that all I can talk about is my present. So I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips. They're open. As you know, O Lord. 
I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. He's assembly conscious in 9 and 10. In other words, he's people conscious. Now he wants others to know something about his God in the midst of his challenges. Are people learning about your God in the midst of your challenges? There's a time for sharing. The microphones were open. People were lining up to talk about what God had done in their lives. If you're like me, you found that many a time the testimonies, the sharing have more to do with the individual than with God. But this young lady came forward and stood at the mic, waited for her turn, and then simply said, I praise God for his righteousness and his holiness. And then she went back to her seat. And there was a hush over the crowd of people. As I put my finger over my mouth, which I'm prone to do to hush my words, and let someone else's words sink deeply. She'd spoken to the assembly. She was a Psalm 40, verse 9 and 10 type of person. What the crowd didn't know were the trying times that she found herself in. Praise for God's past interventions. But David, at the same time, is somebody that deals with real life. And you and I have to live with real life. So he transitions from praise for God's past interventions in verses 1 through 10 to prayer for God's present intervention in verses 11 through 17, as again we see in our outlines, our second main heading. So now, with that in mind, with the spiritual disciplines worked out and mapped out ahead of time so he's better prepared to deal with the challenges of life, he's crying out to God for a rescue plan. Verse 11. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. I cannot see. They're more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. The first of three elements of his prayer unfold for us. Number one, from verses 11 and 12. Through prayer, we seek God's mercy. Through prayer, we seek God's mercy. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. He acknowledges the fact that he's a sinner, and we need to do the same as we are. We are seeking God's intervention in our lives. We acknowledge his righteousness. We acknowledge our sinfulness. And then we need... And that needs to be God's mercy. Now, you notice what happens in verse 12? It's as if, once again, he's pulled out his calculator. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. You know what I've done in my Bible? I've drawn a line from verse 12 back to verse 5. 
from the present to the past. And in verse 5, David had said, Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for me. No one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell them, they'd be too many to declare. He says, numerically, your acts of mercy are too numerous for me to even recount. Yet in verse 12, he looks at the number of challenges he's facing. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. I cannot see. There are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails within me. And what you and I need to do in our own personal experiences is to connect the dots and tie the verse 5s to the verse 12s of our lives and allow for the numbers of God's mercies to be connected to the numbers of our troubles and challenges, let alone sins, and allow the past to feed us with greater perspective regarding the present. Numbers in terms of what took place in verse 5 should give us perspective regarding the numbers that we are experiencing in verse 12. And when we put it all together, we realize that God's mercy is there for us, even when we don't always recognize it. Adrian Rogers would tell us that. Years ago, he told this story of a young mother who was driving home from her parents' home in a blinding rain. And her car stalled in the middle of the road, and she was trying to remain calm and began to pray, when suddenly a large, burly man broke out on the scene, tapped on the window, scared her half to death, and he yelled for her to get out of the car, and she absolutely refused, of course. Gave up. She thanked God for answering her prayers. When lo and behold, he came back with a crowbar and began to try to open up the door. She screamed as he was tearing away at the door, and she was attempting to keep the door held shut, but she was no match for this man. He broke into the car, pulled her out of the car, dragged her off into the grass. She thought she knew what was about to happen. So she thought. But then she heard the train. And the man calmed her down just before the train plowed into her car. Sometimes we don't recognize God's mercy until after the fact. Yet we praise God for his mercy. Through prayer, we seek God's mercy. Troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. I cannot see them more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails within me. And so now he cries out to God, and maybe you've called out to God, cried out to God, God, in my crisis, please, Lord, save me. Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. And maybe you have found that there are those that have done such things to your life. Recognize how David prays here. But in verse 15, may those who say to me, aha, aha, be pawed at their own shame, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, and I've underlined this, 
the Lord be exalted. And what we need is a strong arm placed around our shoulders to remind us that the Lord needs to be exalted. Because secondly, through prayer, we seek God's glory. We seek God's mercy, number one. We seek God's glory, number two. But notice how he ends. Yet I'm poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. Are you thinking of me, God? Now, I want you to notice how he personalizes this final plea. Three times he uses the word my. You are my help, my deliverer, oh my God. Then he adds this. Do not delay. And now you connect the end to the beginning. Where in the past he was able to say, I have learned the discipline of waiting, and not merely waiting, but waiting patiently for the Lord. Therefore, I have the legitimate basis in verse 17 to cry out, do not delay, oh my God. And we see now how all this fits together. Because thirdly, through prayer, we seek God's quick response. We seek it in our present need. I'm walking down the streets of Holland, Michigan, a year ago with my brother-in-law, Craig, CFO in a company in Holland area. We were talking about my father's heart attack that he had experienced, where Craig had raced into my parents' home and my father was on the floor and Craig called 911. As we were talking about that experience, Craig was saying how much my mother appreciated the response time of the ambulance and how they had moved rapidly, quickly, and effectively to not only appear on the scene, but to care for my father and get him to the hospital where he recuperated, recovered. As we were talking, I said to Craig, have you ever thought about Psalm 40? And as we began to talk, we talked about the response time of God and how we're prone to put God on the clock. And as we talked on the streets of Holland, Michigan, I said, there's something that we've got to learn in this experience that Dad has faced. When we learn to wait patiently on God, it's only then that we can truly cry out, move quickly, oh God. And Craig looked at me and said, Psalm 40. We prayed together and went back home. Let's stand together and pray to our God. And we need to learn these spiritual disciplines for the practical issues of our lives, Father. Because like David, we find times where we need rescue. There are times where we look back over our experiences and 
we would have preferred rescue to have been accomplished in a different way. We look back and perhaps there are experiences where we're still asking, where were you, Lord? Yet we have to wonder if it were not for those experiences, would we have come to saving faith today? Is it possible that you allowed us to go through certain experiences so that we might recognize the desperate need for ultimate rescue found at the cross of Christ Jesus? Now it's beginning to make sense. Our wounds are beginning to heal as we see your ultimate rescue plan. So we thank you for the experiences of life. We thank you for our Savior in life. We thank you for the one who said, here I am. Send me. So, Father, may we take now past and present the wonders of mercy and the challenges we face. Connect the dots and give them back to Jesus. So we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.